0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to Read initiative. My name is Dr. Catherine Garforth from Garforth Education, and today I am so happy to have Dr. Shelley Blackwell join me again, and today we're going to be discussing the implementation science, and this is something that really excites me because I think it's important and something that's not spoken about enough right? We, we see all these different interventions and programs and you hear it works or it's not working. And I've seen really great programs that are designed really well, but after, a, you know, an eight hour pro D a teacher can't use it, how it's designed to be used. And so they're saying, oh yeah, there's something wrong with the program. And then I've seen other programs that aren't very good, but because of how the teacher is using it and their knowledge they're able to adapt the materials to use it fairly effectively.
1: Yeah. And I I didn't really know about implementation science um, in a deep way until I was in my doctorate program. And we had one whole course dedicated to implementation science. And it was really fascinating to me. And at, at that time, it was kind of an up and coming um term and in, in my field in speech language pathology and in education healthcare systems have been using it for a while but they've really been looking at that research about how we what what exactly causes something to work and something not to work and how do we make those decisions and how do we prepare our systems for those things so it was really fascinating to me and and as i took the class i was reflecting on the decades I've been, a couple decades I've been with my school district and thinking in in terms of that and framing it in what are things that we've done as a district that have worked well and why? And what are things we've done in the district that didn't really work and why? And I hadn't really thought about, about it that way, but you're right, there's so many different layers. And the other piece that I realized was it depends upon the district, the school, and the, the classroom. I mean, the implementation levels, Or actions for each of those things can vary so it's not just if it's implemented at the district level well that's not a guarantee that it's going to trickle down into the classroom so it's really a pretty deep topic (laughs) and fun to talk about it is and you know
0: it's something that as you said is in other fields and expected and accepted but you know in in the teaching profession where things are at least where I am. It's all about teacher autonomy. Um, But I think we also need to consider teacher accountability, right? We're holding our students to various accountabilities uh, for their learning, but we need to make sure that teachers are being held accountable for covering the material that is expected Mm -hmm. in the most
1: efficacious way. Yeah. Well, and, you know, thinking about what hasn't worked in our district, whether it's Gen Ed or SPED um, or district wide, it's that model of come to the training, come to your professional learning session, learn all about it, get trained, quote unquote, on this new initiative or new product or whatever, and then good luck. And I don't, it's never been a, a malicious kind of thing, like we're going to set them up to fail. It's never been intentional like that. It's been, we don't have the time, we didn't have the manpower to provide the support, we didn't have the um, professional development days enough built in to our school district year to give them that ongoing training, and so it was kind of a one and done, and realizing then that some teachers make it work, and some teachers don't, and then they say, well, this doesn't work, but there are lots of things we need to think about, and that's where the implementation science comes in, It's, we can't just have an idea and say, go do it. Good luck. (laughs) There's a lot more to it. And, and that's, that's the piece that I really learned about in my class.
0: Well, I think it's also, if, if we're thinking logically, we don't expect to give our students like an intensive, um, you know, lesson on something and expect them to understand and do it perfectly the next day. Right. So yes, teachers are professionals, uh, and you know, as an adult, you have a better capacity for things. Mm-hmm. But it's still not necessarily that you're going to have everything mastered by that one day of training. Even as and all the group up, the pullout sessions, and I like, it's not like you're solid sitting there. There's also the fact that when you actually use the program, right? And go into deeper into the program, not just that sales pitch for it. Your understanding may change and you may have questions that arise.
1: Well, and that also goes to the part about take the training aside or uh, out of it. We have to make sure we're using that new initiative or new product with fidelity. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm given a manual and say, go do it, I may go, well, especially if we're talking about explicit systematic phonics instruction, that has to be done a certain way. You can't just pick and choose and go, this lesson doesn't look very good, or so I'm going to skip that, or math. You can't skip a lesson. <laughs> it's built upon. So we have to make sure that teachers understand it well enough to know the structure of it and the content of it and the, to implement it with fidelity. And I think that phrase gets used a lot lately. And and may make some people cringe, like, I don't want to hear that again. But there's also very much truth to it. If we don't do it the way it's supposed to be done, it's not going to work the way they say it's going to work. Mm -hmm. And in our, in the um, experiments and the studies that are done through our researchers, they set things up in a very structured way and say, here are the results we got with these conditions. Mm -hmm. And with this, I mean, they list out their methods and everything. And so they set up the program with the understanding that you'll get these results if you do it this way. I think some of the difficulty then is from research to practice that we can't always replicate the scenario that is in the research study. And so then some of the efficacy gets lost because we aren't doing it the way that that they say we need to do it. Um, But That's also part of I think our job as support specialists to say, okay, how can we take this research and make it relevant and effective in the classroom setting or in in the real in the field? Because sometimes those research studies end up being a little sterile with this. This is great, but it's not real life. There's no classroom that looks like this.
0: Very true. And the other thing that I think is important to recognize is there's a lot of great programs out there. I mean, I I myself have courses and with my courses, I provide worksheets and activities Mm -hmm. that I say would be great for teachers to use with the programs, but they can't just take and print it off and kind of go by what they sort of remember on how to use it. There is a specific way to use the activities and if you're using it wrong you're not going to get the desired results yeah I've seen this with so many programs they you know sprinkle a little in here sprinkle a little bit in there and it's not being used correctly or appropriately and the way it is being used isn't best practice right um yeah so that's difficult
1: Yeah. And and I think that's where then our leaders have to, or whoever's above those people have to really look at the way that we are implementing. So when we have a new initiative, when we have a new process, a new product, something that we're using that's new, we have to really go through the steps that implementation science has shown us. You know, we have to explore the the, the big the admin explores all the ideas and says what do we need what are we showing a need for um, what are we going to use to address that need go through all of those processes of what are we going to adopt and is it aligned with the evidence and is it does it fit the needs of our students and instead of just saying materials are dropped at your school we'll have a four-hour training good luck there are more steps to it and Without that kind of guidance, it doesn't matter how much money you spend or how much, how amazing the program is, it's not going to work. In fact, there's research that says without implementation teams, so coaches, support specialists, ongoing training, without those types of things, it takes 17 years to move half of an intended initiative into regular practice. 17 years just to move half the people. So it's just showing up and dropping off of your materials is not going to be enough. And, and I can really speak to that because in this job that I am as an MTSS support specialist, last school year, we adopted a new core phonics program and a new MTSS intervention program for literacy. And in previous years, initiatives we have said here's your materials here's your training we'll kind of give you some emails to support you along the way with this initiative the administration hired a team and so we go into buildings weekly and we are meeting with teams and plcs and we're going through the data and we're looking at what are your hiccups what are the obstacles what are you running into can I come model a lesson? Can we, can I watch you? And can we have a coaching session? And so we are there to support them along the way, which has been a key to the success that our district has had in implementing this. And they went through the process. They went through, you know, we're, we're kind of in the initial implementation stage still. We've got some kinks to work out and some, some teams are off and running, some teams are struggling which is right where we need to be and we're where you would expect to be. And we're not in full impl- implementation yet where we're doing it with fidelity and consistency. We're still learning it, mm-hmm. but being year two actually one, one and a half into it. We would not be at the same point without the humans, the manpower to support them and their implementation of it and clarifying what to do and, and not just about the product and the process, but giving them that teacher education, teacher knowledge that we've talked about before, about the science of reading, about how to look at data, about the process of becoming a skilled reader. And, and without those conversations, we would be in that probably 17 year <laughs> stretch of going, okay, we've got this stuff, but we're not, it's not working, it's not working.
0: Well, and if you think about it, like I, I didn't have a long time in the classroom, but I did have some time and I remember like, okay, so this is the next lesson in math. We'll do it tomorrow. Right. Like just working through the textbook. Right. And, you know, as beginning, starting out, you know, I was everywhere. <laughs> Let's be honest. Right. Like I, I knew math. No. I knew well. Um, but I didn't take the time to really study how the textbook had it laid out. Mm-hmm. and I was going based off of my knowledge which was deep like I w- I'm very comfortable with you know I was in a grade three four class I'm very comfortable with three grade four three four math especially when it comes to addition and subtraction so um, but when we're looking at other things especially when it comes to using new programs aligned with Evidence based best practices, um, you know, the science of reading, structured literacy. Mm-hmm. It's important that you don't just take it and look at it, you know, five minutes before the lesson, like, okay, this is what we're doing. If you don't have that knowledge, right. uh, I know something that I'm personally working on in my growth is uh, learning more about etymology. Um, and that's a huge, <laughs> huge dive, but a huge learning curve you know, it, it's something that I can, you know, pull up, you know, etymology online and say, okay, so this is the origin. I understand how etymology works. I just don't have that storage bank for every word in the English language.
1: And neither, and I feel like I have a pretty good understanding, but I I don't have that. It's not, I, I don't have the whole language either, <laughs> but, but that, yeah, go ahead.
0: I guess the point that I'm trying to make is you know, some of these programs, you know, we've heard it in, uh, Emily Hanford's podcast, sold a story where these programs that have been tried and true for years are trying to tweak it here, tweak it there so that they can, you know, fit into something, but not really. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so you have the experts in their programs who don't have the same background and experience, trying to teach this stuff that they don't fully understand. And I'm seeing this in school districts as well, when they're going for professional developments, they're turning to people that are trying to make the change themselves instead of going to individuals who have spent years studying, reading up, understanding it. So even if they are using you know a different phonics program that may follow you know a slightly different scope and sequence personally i feel pretty confident that i could pick up almost any phonics program that is aligned with the science of reading and structured literacy having information about you know the the scope and sequence and how it's tying into phonemic awareness, I'm pretty confident that I could understand what's being done in the lesson and move Mm -hmm. forward.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I also feel confident that I could help people understand how to use that product. Instead of having someone that's, you know, doesn't know their grapheme phoneme correspondences, it's, it's important to have that support in place. To say, okay, look, I'm trying to learn this and it's okay because I'm trying to learn it, but I need someone that I can go to
1: and, yeah. speak and say, hey, look, I don't quite
0: understand this. Can you talk to me?
1: That is exactly right. And I think that's why this, our initiative has been successful because we are a point of contact. So in my five buildings, they have. They can email me. They can text me at any point. In fact, sometimes I'll have a fourth grade teacher say, "Okay, I'm getting ready to do syllable structure with this word, but I don't understand the syllable structure. How is it supposed to be divided?" So I text them right back. You know. But we're having those conversations, and what I love is the that they're becoming more curious about what else can I learn? How do I deepen my level? One of the um, programs we're using does a lot of morphology, and in fourth and fifth grade and. The teachers are willing to teach it but they've confided in us that i i don't know this so how am i supposed to teach this and but how many people unless you're a linguist or maybe a speech pathologist how many people really had coursework in understanding morphology in fact um some of the teachers are like i've, I've never even said that word before this year <laughs> so <laughs> So that's, that's another role that we can play as support specialists in the implementation of this. Cause had we not been there, they would have looked at this, that, that program and gone, I don't understand this. I don't, so how am I going to teach this? It'd be like me walking into an, like a calculus class and saying, okay, I'm going to try to teach you this. And I don't know what this is or what that means. So, (laughs) it's very unnerving. And I have to give credit to our teachers because they've been very vulnerable and teachers don't like to feel vulnerable when they're doing their job because they're very passionate about it. And they're the ones who are supposed to be the quote all knowing. Um, so for them to confide in us and turn to us and say, can you help me understand this? And so we've also made some adjustments into the curriculum in response to what they've been finding in their classrooms and things like that. But um, it you're absolutely right. If you don't understand it, you're not going to implement it with fidelity. You're not going to implement it with much success. But they also at some point have to learn. And so there should be some, some space and some room and some permission to say you are it's okay that you have to look this up on etymology online. It's okay that you have to Google Um, what does the, the root form mean or whatever it's okay because you're also modeling to your students. Hey, you know, I don't know all of these pieces in English. I don't, not many people do. So when I don't know something, what am I going to do? A, I'm showing my vulnerability. B, I'm showing my desire to learn. C, I'm showing them how to problem solve finding answers. And so coaching teachers to say, it's okay that you don't know the answer to this. Um, because you're learning too and you're modeling to that I hope has helped their anxiety as they are in this learning curve so that as they become they do it for a couple of years they're going to become more expert at it to to be able to really dive deeper and take it to a new level
0: yeah well and I think it's you know it's humbling oh, yes. but, <laughs> you know being honest with your students, saying, look, this isn't how I was taught. This isn't what I learned at teacher's college, but it's what the science is saying is best for you. And it means that when you're an adult, you'll be, this will just be like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Doesn't everybody know that? Well, that's fine. It's just the same way that it is with technology. We didn't have iPhones when I like, yep. (laughs) Internet was connected to the wall.
1: (laughs) And I think it's really powerful for students to see their teacher who, like I said, is supposed to quote, know everything to have some intellectual humility to say, you know what? I don't know this. I'm really good at this. And I know a lot about this, but this is harder for me. So I'm going to show you what I do when it's hard and I'm going to seek out the answer. And I know I don't know everything, but I want to learn as much as I can and demonstrating and living that line of thinking hopefully creates lifelong learners that just because you're a teacher doesn't mean you've got it all research is changing all the time we're learning new things you read a new book you're like oh that's a I didn't understand it that way that makes more sense and that's what lifelong learning is and that's what we need to create in our students so um I want to also talk about de-implementation Yes. Because that was a term that I had not heard about until this course, it was like, it opened my eyes, it was amazing. It's one of those classes which you're like, yep, yep, keep talking, I'm taking notes, yep, keep, go, go, fill, 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 because it was just, it kind of made things make sense for me when I looked out into practice, into either in my own speech pathology practice at the time, or what was happening in my elementary school, or what was happening in my district. Um And I, in fact, I visited with our superintendent and he's so down to earth and loves having very open and honest conversations, which is one of his best attributes as a leader. You can tell him like it, tell it like it is with him. And um, he takes, he takes it and it's like, okay, well then let's problem solve. What can we do? So he came in one day and he said, um, because how's it going in the field? Give me your honest feedback. How's this whole thing working with your new phonics? And. And, um, I said, you know, my team, we said it's going well, we we're right where we think we need to be with, we've got some hiccups for growing, it's moving forward though. But I said, the thing that I think our district has failed at <laughs> in our time that I was like, Oh, Shelly probably shouldn't like watch your words. But I said, we don't de-implement anything. We just say, like, for instance, we use Fountas and Pinnell. Mm-hmm. And we didn't say, here's why we're not using this anymore. Here's what we're doing instead of. Um, We didn't say, here, if you know, these pieces we are not using, these pieces you may use. If you like the comprehension questions to help facilitate a conversation in your small group, you can use the comprehension questions, but we're not gonna use the benchmark assessment system. We're not going to use the leveled readers. We're not going to say she's a level G, you're in a level G group. We're not going to do those things. And this is why we just said, stop doing that. And so a lot of teachers who didn't have the structured literacy background, they, they quote, grew up with the balanced literacy and our reading specialists were trained in balanced literacy in the colleges. They were very perplexed. They were angry. They were confused at like, okay, well, what now here? What's the new shiny thing we're doing this year? And in three years, we'll do another new shiny thing. And, and that to me is a, a significant failure on like our district or whatever company on their part, because we're not educating teachers on the thinking behind it or the research. We're just saying, stop doing this, start doing this. And as I've been able to have conversations with them to say, here's why we aren't doing this anymore. There, there's been some aha and like, okay, okay, I get that. So we haven't had those de-implementation conversations and truly to no fault of anybody's, because if I'm just learning about this with as much as I read and study, what if they don't even know about it? Mm-hmm. You know, what in education, we haven't talked about implementation science much until recently. so. And that's what maybe they thought they had to do.
0: Well, there's there's two things that I'm thinking about that as, as you're discussing it. One is, you know, I'm seeing stuff, you know, the, the district uh, that I live in is still very much heavily balanced literacy. And I'm still seeing information sent home where the first thing is looking at the pictures and asking what they think it is and what would make sense but they do at the end tack on a couple things related to like looking at the letters and good for you for having looking at the letters of the words but that should be at the top and we shouldn't have looking at the pictures mm-hmm. anywhere mm-hmm. and you know when i when i've spoken to the higher ups they've said well you know, teachers are allowed to have several tools in their toolbox and it, it's just a need for changing the conversation and saying, look, we know this doesn't work. um, And we need to make the changes so that our students get the best chance of success and recognize that we've made mistakes in the past, but we didn't know it and that's okay. But now that we know better, we need to prevent those mistakes for the future generations. Now, the other thing that I wanted to mention, unless you have something
1: to say about that. I was just going to say you hit on one of the the bullet points of when we de-implement is when something has been shown to be ineffective. That's Mm -hmm. one of them. If it's being, if it's ineffective or not helpful, we need to stop doing it. If it's causing harm, we need to stop doing it. If it is no longer necessary, let's de-implement it. And it doesn't mean abandon it it means we need to revisit this and say do we reduce this or do we replace this Mm -hmm. it's a very thought out process to de-implement but that is a prime case of you know something that is not as effective as they said it was going to be first we got to check is it being done with fidelity is it supported by evidence and research that should have been done before we implemented it but um you know if it's not effective let's consider replacing it or reducing it, whatever that might be. So you're spot on with that. Thank you.
0: (laughs) The other thing that I wanted to mention is we're, we're starting to see, well, it's a lot more prevalent in the research now, that during implementation of research studies, we are looking at implementation fidelity and in the eighties and the nineties, you didn't necessarily see it. So you'd have these studies trying a new um way of instructions or new materials and whatever, and then just assume that they were being used appropriately within the classroom. I mean, it's different if you have research assistants implementing, but they Mm -hmm. still should have some fidelity assessment to make sure that what they are doing is actually what they say they're doing.
1: Yeah. And we, the a lot of play things will have like checklists or something. We are, our team is creating some look fors that we can give our principals so that um, if when they go through and do walkthroughs in their building, you know, sometimes you can walk into a room and there's an amazing, engaging lesson that has nothing to do with the standards that you're supposed to be teaching. It looks cool. If you don't know what you're looking for, you're like, bravo, you were amazing. So we're creating some look for so the principals who haven't had the background and training that we've had can walk into a classroom and say, whether it's phonics or morphology or reading fluency or comprehension, here are the things that you need to be seeing kind of your checklist to say, you know what, they are implementing this with fidelity, or at least with integrity, that they're hitting the parts that need to be hit that are non-negotiable and in certain ways so that principals can be empowered to provide some of that coaching or at least to say to us hey uh third grade is struggling with us can you come to plc and help them you know coach them into some more effective practices or whatever you know
0: well and the thing is it's not to call out teachers or reprimand them or anything it's saying look i think you might need a little bit of help with us can i help you you know I understand this. I know how to do this. Let me give you it a try and show you how I do it so that you can then see it instead of just seeing the lesson, you know, static in a book on a page,
1: see that
0: dynamic interaction of the
1: concept. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like, if you're going to put that much work into teaching, don't you want to get results? So let me, there's some things that are happening that, or aren't happening that are keeping you from getting the results that you could get. So let me see if I can give you a few pointers or tips, or, you know, I, I, my brain keeps going back to um, the driving range at a golf course. I took lessons and I'm horrible at golf. I mean, like really bad, (laughs) but I think if I didn't take I took one round of lessons. If I wanted to play golf, I would need a lot more because I need somebody to show me what I'm not doing or what I'm doing wrong. My big thing is my hips, my hips swing. But unless I had somebody to say to me, if you swing your hips, if you stand up after you hit the ball, it's not going to go where you want to go. I could keep trying that and keep trying that and getting your results. Or I could have somebody who's an expert or, but well knowledge in that field to say, here's how you could be more successful. So you can enjoy this. And that's exactly what what walkthroughs and coaching sessions are about to say, you know, if you're going to put the work in and you're going to show up and do this, let's let's give you the best bang for your buck. Now, walkthroughs don't always feel that way. It sometimes probably most of the time, depending upon relationships, feels like a judgment. You know, um, are they are they am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I good enough or am I going to get in trouble or? Am I not doing, you know, it gets very anxiety provoking, but if you can have the climate and the relationship of, you know, I, I can give you some tips on this to make sure that you can get the most out of your students and get the, that they, if you do these things and, but that's, that's, um, Boy, man, that may be a whole nother conversation about the contributing factors. So I guess let's
0: try and come up with a couple big takeaways from this conversation because yeah. I know we've gone a little bit everywhere.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh but it, usually go. We,
0: we've had good ideas within it. So I think first if we can define what implementation science is.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's actually looking at, it's a science. There are researchers that look at the efficacy of how things are implemented. There are tools that you can use. The hexcon tool is one. So um, for instance, if I was to say, hey, we need to, we need something for fluency, I might use that tool to help me make sure I'm looking at all the pieces of in the stages of implementation and all the components that go with it. So there are actual tools out there, but implementation science is actually looking at what makes things work well, Mm -hmm. and by making things work well we also learn what doesn't make things work well. And so part of those things are like you've got to look at your organization, you've got to look at your leadership, you've got to look at your implementation drivers, which would be the people who are going to be a part of that. there's a model out there. It's a multiplicative model. So kind of like the simple view is multiplicative. Um, You have to have your, you have to have effective interventions. So is this evidence-based? Is this, is there proof that shows this works? Plus the methods, what's my procedure for providing um, support and training and Um, professional learning for implementation and there's also the context so this is my policy and my procedure and how am I going to communicate all those um, for those changes to happen when you have all three of those things you're more likely to have your intended outcomes and so with implementation science definition I would also just say it's it's a lot more than just picking something up and using it there's a lot of forethought that goes into it and circumstances that have to be in place.
0: Yeah, and the other big thing we, we discussed was that de-implementation science.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We go about that? So it's it's really discontinuing low value practice. So when you find something that isn't working, then you have to figure out a way to discontinue it. And um, you'll I see a, the word abandon a lot in the research about it. But abandon we usually think of as just leave it, but abandoned means let's work our way out of it. So part of that is looking at, okay, do we just, can we reduce one one thing maybe like meetings? Okay, we're going de-implement the amount of meetings we have. How are we gonna do that? Are we going to cut down the number of meetings, the frequency of meetings? Are we going to use an agenda so that we decrease the time in our meetings? Can we reduce something? to make it more effective. Um, and then they also talk about coupling de-implementation with implementation. So perhaps that is like in our case, we're going to replace Fountas and Pinnell with our core phonics from 95% group. We're going to replace that and not just send in your old stuff. Here's your new stuff. But let's talk about why we're doing this. What was, what was it about FMP that wasn't effective? and why we're moving on and what is it that this new program has and offers that is why we want to go this way. So the de-implementation piece, I think in the field, maybe not in the research, for me has a lot more of tell me why, explain why and explain how, because that I think piece is overlooked often. It's easy to say, hey, we're no longer doing this send that in. You're going to be checked out new stuff. That's not de-implementing. That's just replacing.
0: Well, and the other thing, um, I think it was in the spring. um, Pam Kastner spoke with a teacher and I, I'm blanking on her name right now. And she completely reorganized their book room and I hate waste and throwing away books but what she did was go through those uh leveled texts and reorganize them into theme bins and discovering if there was that decodability or controlled text manner to it and so that is something yes it takes time but if you have a couple teachers doing it over a weekend and i know yes that's your personal time um but it's a way to use things that reuse things in appropriate manner, because there are some great ideas and activities in those books, but they're not best for those beginning readers to
1: read independently. Right. We did that. We've done that too, because we have, one of my schools has probably 10 vertical file cabinets of guided reading books, leveled books. And so I haven't been through all of them yet because you're right. It does take a lot of time, but I'm totally, I totally dig it. Like, this is my thing. I just need some time to do it. But I made, um, I pulled out any of the decodables. There are a few that could be considered decodable, maybe not the best, but there are enough, enough parts of it that if I'm working on short A, most of the words have short A in it, you know, something like that. So I pulled out to repurpose any of those that were decodable and organize them by skill. Mm-hmm. And that's my decodable book bin box or um, file cabinet. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them will be organized by theme or content or um, topic because we can still use those leveled readers for comprehension. And we can use those for building knowledge and vocabulary. And, and even I can give it to my student who I think, you've been doing pretty well with the, with the decodables with your training wheels. Let's see what you can do in an uncontrolled text. Mm -hmm. So I can give that to them, but it's not what I'm going to use to teach them how to decode. It's not what I'm going to use to practice that skill that we just learned. That's what decodables are. And so the um, principal was talking to me about it and I was telling her how it's gotten organized and whatever. And she said, well, some of these, these books that don't have a purpose anymore, the ones that just have like I like hippopo- a hippopotamus with the picture above it, right? Collaging. Oh, yeah. So um, I, I was like, those those don't really belong anywhere. She's like, but but kindergartners learn how to read using these. And I said, no, no, they don't. So we went through the whole thing. And, and she's like, I just, I just can't get rid of them. I said, well, whatever you do, they do not go in this decodable book file cabinet. They do not go there at all. <laughs> you do what you want, but not there. And, uh, and she was raised in the Mari Clay and, you know, whole language where you, if you put them in with books, they're going to learn how to read and love it. And so she's on her own journey of learning and she's very supportive of the structured literacy movement, but she, her knowledge just hasn't caught up yet. Um, it will but anyway, that was a little tangent, but I, I we try to repurpose those books too because there are great uses for them. Vocabulary, building knowledge, listening comprehension. That's when
0: you can use those sticky notes to cover up the words and get the kids to write their own stories. Yeah. Yeah. I say what word do you think belongs here? Let's make up a story about this picture. And that yeah. can be a, you know, a comprehension building, a writing exercise. Uh, and there are so many great discussions that can be had with those books. They're just not to be purposed to teach children to read.
1: Correct. Yep.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Shelley. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I hope to have more in the future.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me on all three of these, these podcasts and, um, it's been fun to get to talk shop. So thanks for having me.